Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we've brought on Frank Rush as our guest today. And he has a background working at Caldwell Blank Banker as a real estate agent. Later on, he met his business partner, Alex Rogers, where they founded East Property Management in 2014. And they currently manage over 550 units in the Duluth Superior area. And in 2020, Gray Duck Capital was formed where they target value-add multifamily properties in the upper Midwest ranging from 75 to 150 units. So Frank, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Eileen, for having me. Listen to the show a number of times, and it's an honor to be on here. Likewise. Thank you. And it sounds like you guys are expecting some big changes coming up in the next couple of months here. So that's super exciting. Yes. Yep. Not only are Alex and I keeping busy with you know the real estate projects and what we've got going on with Great Duck Capital, but my wife and I recently found out that we are expecting in January. So this will be our first child and that's uh, going to be a whole new experience to uh, dive into. I guess as new parents, you know, congratulations, but as new parents, what is your, I guess, your biggest fear right now as you bring in a new person, a new life into your, you and your wife's lives? Yeah. I don't know if I've got any big fears. I think we've got a lot of good role models in our lives and friends who have, you know, gone through the process. So we've got a, a really great support system, friends and family that we can lean on and ask any questions that'll come up. So really not too worried. Yeah, no, absolutely. The family support and the people around you is definitely that what they say is like it takes a village to raise a child and it's so true. <laughs> exactly. So Frank, can you give us a little bit more of your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up kind of involved in small multifamily and single family real estate. My parents had a few rentals that were close by to our house. So I grew up, you know, mowing the lawns, doing some painting and light maintenance and just kind of learning from osmosis that way. Then when I went to college. I was a finance major and kind of very interested in the stock market and all that. But once in college, you know, it was time to find that place to rent. And rather than renting, I uh, decided to buy a house and kind of rent out, you know, some of the rooms to friends of mine. And so that worked out really well. And then new Alex Rogers, my business partner from before college, but he, went to the same university and we decided to start buying some small multifamily together towards the tail end of college. And once graduated, got my real estate license. So that was Coldwell Banker East West Realty in Duluth, Minnesota. And we continued to purchase small multifamily, you know, kind of working as a realtor by day. But then at night we'd be, you know, laying new flooring, doing the painting, doing the rehabs, Stuff like that, and also looking for new properties to buy. This was way back in about 2010, 2012, 
so a much different market back then. We continued to purchase properties and build our portfolio. And all the while, we would be approached from, you know, other investors in the area asking us if we could manage properties for them. So in 2014, we founded East West Property Management. And that is doing great these days. We manage about 600 units, all in that Duluth Superior area. So yeah, that's really helped build a good foundation for learning everything that goes into managing rental properties and all the surprises you can come across and how you can you know overcome those. So back in college is when you started your real estate, when you bought your first property and did some house hacking where you rented out some rooms to friends and then you lived in one room and then was able to collect rents and rent them out to your friends as well. And then you mentioned towards the tail end of college, you started buying small multifamilies with your business partner? Exactly. Yeah. Single families, duplexes, fourplexes back then. That first one I bought was actually probably the worst time to buy a property. That was 2007, but still own it today. So it's all working out. So when people think of college students, they think of, you know, maybe they don't have the financial means to be able to do it. It might be a little bit more challenging to get some loans to be able to purchase the properties. How did you and your partner navigate around that? And how are you able to finance purchasing all these real estate properties in college? Was it like doing work on the side, uh, you know, creating some additional income through active income? Or how did that kind of work out for you guys? Yeah, great question. So again, totally, you know, different market back then. Our first purchase together beyond that first house I bought was actually on contract for deeds. So, you know, it's the right owner situation where they were able to do that. Those are pretty hard to find these days, but we were able to do that. So just trying to get creative. But yeah, we would scrape together money from odd jobs or being real estate agents. It wasn't a great market back then, but we would get commission checks for that and pour it right back into purchasing those properties to get the ball rolling. I often refer to it kind of as a a snowball. You know, it's kind of tough at first, but you keep pushing and it gets bigger and bigger and eventually you hit the top of the hill and it starts rolling on its own is kind of the idea. So how did you decide to start up your property management company after purchasing you know, your own properties? And then how did you start to expand it? Because now you manage over 600 units. So walk us through that journey a little bit. Yeah. So back then, 2014 or so, we were probably self-managing 50 units or so. So that was enough to keep us busy, but not a ton. We were approached by our broker at Coldwell Banker, East West Realty, that had a acquaintance that had a large portfolio. That was about 150 units. And they were not very happy with their management company and looking for a change. And knowing that, you know, we were kind of going in that direction and building our portfolio one property at a time and doing a good job at that, they thought that might be a good fit. So we started the property management company and right off the bat, you know, had 200 units not a ton, but uh, enough to hire a maintenance guy or two and get rolling that way. So, When you scaled from 50 units to self-managing and then took on an additional 150 units to get you to 200 units, 
What was the biggest thing that you had to change within your business to be able to manage that large of a capacity? Because you three times grew your business. Yeah, good question. So I think pivoting time from being that real estate agent and showing houses, helping people buy and sell single family houses primarily, we took that off the table and devoted that time to building out the systems that we had been, you know, starting and forming while doing the property management for our own portfolio. So it wasn't too challenging. It was just kind of changing some of those tasks. Back then, we did it all, Alex and I, from the showings to the leasing to the accounting. We did have, you know, one or two maintenance techs that would help out at the beginning, and and we've grown that to now we've got, uh, I think, about 10 maintenance techs in our property management company. If you were to take a look at your business model back from when you first started to where you are now, what do you think has been the biggest shift or change or improvement to your business that you made that has helped you to scale to where you are today? Yeah, great question. I'd say there's not one major one that stands out. You know, over time, just it's always looking for that new way to improve a process or bring in, you know, a plug-in, if you will, back when we started, we were signing leases on paper and meeting with tenants to go over those leases on paper. You know, nowadays, of course, everything's digitalized and and we can do so much more quickly and effectively that way. So I wouldn't say there's one thing that really stands out, but always keeping an eye open for how you can improve, become more efficient, and add things that will help make the residents life easier or better. That really will pay dividends, of course, in less turnover and higher rent and such like that. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. When you're dealing with, especially when you're running your own property management company, you're dealing with tenants, you're doing the screening process up front. What do you look for? And like, what is your criteria that you typically put a potential new resident through in order to maybe streamline some of the processes and to you know, make sure that they're quality tenants so that later down the road, maybe you can mitigate some of the potential risks out there with bringing on a maybe a not so great tenant. Like what does your screening process kind of look like? Yeah, we have a what we call a resident selection criteria. So that's what we will give out to prospective residents before they apply. We want to be very clear on what we look for, what would disqualify someone, all that. It's really not rocket science, if you will. It's just kind of doing the due diligence. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We don't want to, you know, have evictions or 
tendencies that don't work out. So doing our homework up front, it just is taking the time to, you know, review the credit reports thoroughly, review the criminal background check, sometimes even going a little extra step there to do some searches that might not show up. Yeah, really nothing groundbreaking, just taking the time to carefully review everything. And of course, landlord references go a long way as well. And then in 2020, you decided to start Gray.Capital. And so from there, what was that transition look like for you? And where did that kind of stem from as you were managing uh, multiple different properties, hundreds of units? And how did that transition go from you know being a property manager, owning your property management company to now forming Grey Duck Capital? Yeah. So we were looking at the syndication model for a few years, even prior to that, probably should have taken that leap earlier. You know, when we were buying 15 unit buildings back in 2017 or so, we probably could have been buying 100 unit buildings and using our knowledge and done a great job. And sometimes I think you just need to take that leap at some point. But in 2020, we identified our first kind of larger acquisition. It was a 113-unit portfolio. That was in Duluth, Minnesota. So it worked out well where we could manage that in-house and still do to this day while we do the value-add play and make improvements. So again, we had built out our property management team. So freeing up time that we were doing for the property management and putting that into the investor relations and sourcing new deals, executing on that business plan. Those were kind of just the next steps there. And then do you focus primarily in the Minnesota market or are you looking also outside of that market? Yeah, great question. So we are looking outside that market. We really like the kind of upper Midwest, some of the markets in Ohio, uh, Kansas City, Indianapolis, Des Moines, even some of those that flyover states, as some people may call them, where you might not get the appreciation that you get in those, you know, Sunbelt or Smile regions, but sometimes you can find those deals where the cash flow is really good. We don't want to go into a deal you know, banking on appreciation, banking on the market to you know, bring that property value up. We want to make sure that it's a solid deal and stands on its own cash flow wise, even if, you know, the market takes a dip. So you focus on the cash flow aspect of it first to make sure that cash flows before you look at the any of the other upsides. Exactly. You know, when we're underwriting a deal, we're always going to be conservative, especially with that exit cap. I think that's where a small little tweak can make a huge difference to the numbers. So you got to be really careful when you're looking at other deals and what the exit cap is projected at because, you know, no one knows what it's going to be like in three, five, seven years. So when you're doing your underwriting, you're looking at the exit caps then, like what is your typical or what would you typically look at for a more conservative exit cap number? Yeah. So a general rule of thumb, you know, a lot of people will go by is adding 10 basis points per year that you're planning on holding it. So if you're planning on holding it for five years and you're buying at a five cap, 
projecting that you're going to sell it at a 5.5 or even if you want to get more conservative, test what that's going to look like if you were to sell it at a six cap. So it'll depend on the market a little bit and the neighborhood, of course, but that's the general kind of rule of thumb we go with. So for you, Frank, what is next for you guys? Because now you've built out your property management company. Now you have Dot Capital. Do you self-manage your properties within Dot as well? Do you bring that in-house? So we do some. Uh, the last deal we did, we closed on just over a month ago. That one we do not self-manage. So that we're using a third-party management company. We were able to get them involved in the general partnership in the deal. So there's a nice alignment of interests. And that really helps out our limited partners in the long run. Next for us is continuing to look for that next deal that would meet our underwriting and our criteria. I think it'll be a really interesting market over the next couple of years where I think deal flow will slow down a little bit with these rising interest rates. But for you know properties and owners who may need to sell or want to sell, there might be some good deals out there to be had. But I do think it's going to slow down here a little too, but we are keeping our eyes open, of course. Where is the best place that you've been able to get find the most success in finding deals? Have they been like off market, on market? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I think we like to keep our options open. The last one we found was on market deal. Just because something's off market, quote unquote, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a great deal. You still got to do your underwriting and your due diligence. On the last deal, we were told that we weren't the highest bidder. You know, we didn't have the highest purchase price, but they felt more comfortable that we were going to be able to close and execute. So keeping those options open, those broker relationships, that's something we're always trying to improve and continue to work on, but also trying to source off-market deals because you definitely can find some good ones if the timing and the owner lines up and all that. So Frank, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Yeah, great question. It's really all I've known. So a little hard to answer that compared to, you know, if I was doing something else for the beginning of my professional career and then come into it. But I think there's definitely a lot of positives where you can have some flexibility, you know, in when you work and what you're working on. And you can really take that any direction you want. You know, it's definitely something where you're going to get out of it what you put in. So there are times when you can take a day off and go fishing or go golfing or something like that. But there's also those nighttime phone calls where an emergency happens and someone needs to take care of something and that might be you. So give and take there. And then you definitely meet a lot of great people. I think that's what we've definitely seen from the conferences that we've gone to and just the relationships we've built that there's a lot of great people in this business. And I think everyone realizes that there's a lot of real estate out there, a lot of deals. It's a big pie and just sharing information and knowledge, you know, with other people is something that surprisingly a lot of people are open to. And that's great to see. Yes. Yes, definitely. Especially in the real estate space, and multifamily, especially, you find a lot of people are just wanting to add value. And then you don't really find this in too many other industries where people are just 
trying to knowledge share and just bring up other people around you as well. So it's an interesting space. It's different than other industries, for sure. It's about partnerships there. And yeah, you wouldn't imagine, you know, two tech companies or something getting together that are competitors and sharing ideas. But I think in real estate, there's just a different mindset. And we might not partner on this deal, but if we keep that relationship open and that line open, maybe something comes along on the next one and we can join forces and find a synergy there. So I have to ask also, because you're going to be new parents yourself with you and your wife, does your investment strategy change now that you are going to be growing your family? Does anything in your investment strategy of like purchasing properties, managing your business, anything like that, does your outlook change or perspective change at all in terms of maybe conservatism, maybe aggressiveness and how you approach it, your investing? Yeah, good question. I think maybe get back to me in six months and we'll see if something <laughs> changes. I think, you know, with age in general, you're going to naturally want to be a little more conservative, maybe, you know, as you learn more, maybe there's deals that you know to walk away from that 10 years ago or 20 years ago you might do. That's not to say that that deal wouldn't work out. It's just maybe you realize, hey, that's not the best use of my time. So yeah, I think you can get a little more picky, a little more conservative, but real estate is a great avenue for passing down that generational wealth and creating that. And that's kind of been one of the mindsets for me, at least from the beginning. So I don't think anything's changing too much there. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Yeah, I'd probably go back to kind of just take the leap. I know a lot of people, you can sometimes get that analysis paralysis where you're just doing, you know, a lot of due diligence and but you're never pulling the trigger. And at some point, you just got to take that leap. And I think, like I said earlier, just don't be afraid to go bigger. There's a time and a place for, you know, having restraint and everything. But but a lot of times, we know more than we realize. And I think pulling the trigger to go bigger earlier would have been great if I could go back, but can't complain. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Yeah, I think just being able to adapt and real estate's one of those professions where no two days are really the same. It definitely, that's one of the exciting things about it, but you have to be able to adapt and overcome new challenges that some of them you might see coming and some you're like, wow, I did not uh, think that was going to happen, but it just did. So how do we fix it? How do we improve this? How do we get to the next level? And Frank, if our listeners also wanted to find out more about what you're doing and reach out, where's the best place that they can go? Yeah, you can email me anytime, frank at grayduck.co. That's G-R-A-Y-D-U-C-K.co. Otherwise, you can look up information on our website, grayduckcapital.com. Of course, LinkedIn is great. You can find me on there as well. Awesome. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being on our show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Eileen, for having me. Reach out anytime and look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you. 
And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.